The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Eating Plants, a poem by Deborah Shapiro, MD, abridged. We tell you to eat plants for your health, for the planet, for the animals, because it's what our anatomy and physiology are best suited to eat. We tell you to eat plants to reverse chronic disease, to lose weight, to prevent an early death, to be kind to save precious resources like rainforests, grasslands, and water, to get off your medications, to prevent the need for dangerous surgeries, for better athletic performance, because compassion is a virtue worth cultivating, because plant foods taste delicious and look beautiful, and so everyone in the world can have food. We tell you to eat plants because veganism is a social justice movement, because in terms of intelligence, there's no difference between a human toddler and a pig, because even the dairy and egg industries are cruel, because cow's milk is the perfect food for a baby calf, because plants contain the right amount of protein for humans, because by 2046, there won't be any more fisheries. We tell you to eat plants so there will be less childhood cancer, so you and your friends can enjoy living well into your 90s. We tell you to eat plants to reduce suffering everywhere, to feed your healthy gut microbiome, to improve your mood, to turn on at least 500 genes that fight cancer, to ingest fewer foods that promote cancer, to get more fiber, which is found only in plants. And you say it's too hard too extreme, too expensive, too time-consuming. You say your kids won't eat it, your spouse won't eat it, your family won't eat it, your friends won't eat it. And I say, time to wake up. Thanks to Dr. Deborah Shapiro for that poem. I'm Victoria Moran, your host of the Main Street Vegan Program. It is my pleasure today to be bringing you a longtime friend of mine and a brand-new friend of mine. After the break, we'll be talking with Dr. Doug Graham. You know him for the 80-10-10 diet. And now we're going to be talking about something everybody's interested in as we look to the future, and that is kids, vegan kids specifically. And my guest is Melissa Vanderhorst. She is the founder and publisher of the popular children's magazine, Vegan Kids, and she is very passionate about inspiring children with the vegan message. Her most recent accomplishment was speaking at Parliament House in Canberra, Australia, for World Vegan Day. So joining us from Australia, Melissa Vanderhorst. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. 
Well, it is excited to be hearing about what you're doing. So tell us what gave you the idea to start a magazine for vegan sprouts, little kids. <laughs> so the idea, the idea hatched when I became vegan and decided to see how many kids there were who were growing up vegan. Um, I felt like there was not enough content that was being created for them, and I think they're, they're so important because they do understand veganism on a really deep emotional level. Um, so I just felt like I was driven to to just create content for them and help them feel really connected to the vegan message and all of the great things that happen when you become vegan. And you are reaching out to the age 6 to 11 demographics, such an important age group because they're so on fire for the things that they believe in. And That's to have it. support from a, a magazine is, is wonderful. So why do you think that it's important that kids know what it is to be vegan? I think that it's in the world that we are in today, it's something that's coming up all around us, there's more and more awareness that being vegan is definitely a good thing for you, the planet, the animals. And I think because of that, it's so important that kids are aware that this is an option. You know, you can be a thriving vegan um, in a world that isn't necessarily as accepting of it yet, but it's important that kids can have something that they can just feel connected to and feel connected to kids from all around the world and other vegans. That's so exciting. I wish there had been Vegan Kids magazine when I was raising my daughter vegan back in the 1980s uh, <laughs> and 90s. So I know that you look at veganism uh, for, for your readers in all of its aspects and you also educate kids about their health. Now, this is really interesting because I think most vegan kids are passionate about the animals. And health is a kind of nebulous topic that seems maybe to affect grandparents. So how do you get that message in? So I work with a lot of doctors, nutritionists, and people who are aware of their health, like athletes. Um, and... I have them explain to them that it's really important to be aware of your health. I think that when somebody hears that a kid is growing up vegan, quite often someone will be like, oh, no, that's not healthy. You can't be healthy as a vegan. But I think it's really important for kids to be able to answer that question for themselves and be like, oh, no, you can definitely be healthy as a vegan. You can get all of your nutrition and just be really, really healthy and active as a vegan. So I think it's important that kids can just feel confident to answer those questions that they'll probably receive from the people around them. That's a very good idea. And kids would rather speak up for themselves than wait until some adult <laughs> comes <laughs> to explain it for them. So you have another project in the works, Vegan Kids TV. What's that? Okay, so... That's a talk show that I'm running with my friend on YouTube. Um, so in that, we play games and we talk to kids about being vegan, um, as well as going to different places and having like little segments. And yeah, so it's kind of just a, a talk show where kids can just express why they love to be vegan. So that's on YouTube. Oh, that is so much fun. And certainly that's uh, the medium in which they're growing up. So the magazine, is this online, print, or both? Both. So it's available, um, I ship worldwide from Australia, as well as having distributors in the USA. Um, and other than that, you can buy it on online. Wow. That would be really fun, I think, for a kid to get a paper magazine from Australia, if indeed that's not where they live already. So what's your advice? So particularly for kids whose parents are not vegan, that's got to be tough. What do you say to these kids? They want to be vegan and the parents are saying, not on my watch. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, have been, that has been coming up again and again is kids who go vegan first and then the rest of the family follows. I think there's something 
really, really endearing and really powerful about a child who, who realizes that this is what's going on, that a chicken on a plate is actually a chicken, like an actual chicken. I feel like we're, we're so used to hiding that, but when a kid realizes that it's, it's so overpowering. And I think that's really powerful. So for, for kids who his family isn't vegan yet, I would say just stick to it. Um, share and do, do research. So research. So share a lot of information with your parents and help them know that you can be really healthy as a vegan and that you're really passionate and that you're really serious about it. That really empowers kids. And I just think about what the world will look like when we have a generation, the majority of whom were given the freedom to make a very sensible and also moral choice like this. It, it, it's pretty bright <laughs> when you think about it. Go ahead. Oh, um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think when it's... Because when I, when I was a kid, it was not presented as an option. I had no idea what it was to be vegan. I didn't even know that. I mean, I'd heard of vegetarian, but I didn't know that being vegan was a thing. So I think it's really exciting that so many kids are going to be aware of this awesome option. It's, it's wonderful. And, and for their future health, not to mention the future of this planet and kindness yeah. and justice and all the rest, just like in the poem. Um, that I read to start with. So I know that you are doing this yourself. You you are pretty much the staff, is that right? Yes, that is correct. Great vegan energy. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a background in journalism? Was this something that you brought to the table, or did you just see a need and decide to fill it? Um, so it's my first thing that I've ever published. So that's been a very exciting learning curve. But my background is in graphic design, graphic design and illustration as well as photography. So all of that stuff of like putting together the magazine was something that I had experienced a little bit in the past. Um, but but yeah, pretty much it's just been a crazy crazy learning curve. It's been amazing. Wow. Well, that's exciting. And I always tell my students at Main Street Vegan Academy that don't turn your back on what you've done before just because you want to do something in the vegan world. Look at what you've done before and see how it can carry over, and your story is just perfect. I mean, graphic design for a magazine is probably the most important experience that you could have. So I love that. I love it when I tell people something and somebody else proves me right. Uh, so, <laughs> Melanie, looking ahead, what are your plans for the future? So I've got so many ideas of different issues that I want to cover in the magazine. Each magazine has its own little theme. So, so far I've done one that was just like the first one. So that was more of a general look at vegan. Um, and the second one was marine issues and what and how being vegan um, is good for the ocean um, and a little bit about plastic. And... The third issue has been about animal sanctuaries. So the next issue is going to be about vegan athletes, um, and that's going to be all all health-based. Um, so, yeah, just more more issues and um, just growing, I guess, growing oh. my reach. And it, it's very exciting. Just in our last few minutes, since uh, most oh, of yeah. our listeners are not in Australia – let us know about what's happening there with, with veganism. How's it growing? What are you seeing? I'm, I'm quite involved with the vegan scene in, um, in Australia. I do live in Melbourne, and it is, it's crazy. It's, there's, so many, there's so many events to go to. Um, there's so many restaurants that are popping up all the time. Every, like, everywhere you go, you can see the word vegan in Melbourne. Um, they'll advertise vegan options because they know it's the popular thing and the activism scene is amazing and everyone is just really encouraging and it's just it's just everywhere um, 
and there's chalking in the streets, like people writing vegan messages and it's I, I feel pretty privileged to live in Melbourne, but it is actually like it's everywhere. Mm. So I think that those of us who, who have not been there, my husband says it's his favorite country. I've never been myself, maybe a wish list. Um, but, you know, I mean, over here we have this restaurant chain that's supposed to be Australian. It probably isn't, but it's called Outback Steakhouse. And so I think we have this idea that just as we have it in the United States, a big kind of ranching and hunting sort of culture, that there's a lot of that in Australia too. Do you see any of that lessening or or do you get backlash? Um, I think there's definitely backlash a little bit um, because Australia is, I think because Australia is such a big meat-eating country and that's, you know, Aussie barbecues, um, throw a shrimp on the barbie kind of Aussie idea that people have in their minds. So there is a little bit of a backlash when they see people being successful in fighting against that. Um, I think that people can feel a little bit like their culture is being attacked, but that's not the case at all. And I feel like people who you wouldn't expect to be vegan a few years ago, like people who've worked in abattoirs and ex-hunters are now coming to the movement and becoming more accepting. So it's still it's still a little bit of an uphill battle, but we're definitely getting there. Wow. And it, it just sounds like the way veganism is growing, it's all around the world, some a little bit of the same story, but it's it's just growing like wildfire, which is so incredibly exciting. So listeners, the magazine is vegankidsmagazine.com. Very easy, vegankidsmagazine.com. Vegan Kids Magazine on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and we'll also um, post on the show notes the YouTube channel. That's a little bit longer. So just here as as uh, we we part, Melissa, for a parent who is going vegan and has a child in the 6 to 11 age range for whom this is new, what would you say to that parent? I would say... One of the hardest things for kids is not knowing any other vegan kids. So I would say that it's important that they try and connect with other vegan families if they, if they can, if that's available to them. Otherwise, go online and there's so many vegan families on YouTube. So watch those um, and just help them feel like there are other vegan kids out there. And also, Vegan Kids Magazine is a great <laughs> option as well. Well, I, I am sure it is. I'm just so excited that it's out there. I'm excited to be able to spread the word about this with you, Melissa. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, or I guess since you're in Australia, thank you for being with us tomorrow. It's always hard for me <laughs> to get my mind <laughs> around the international dateline. So, <laughs> Melissa Vanderhorst, Vegan Kids Magazine, vegankidsmagazine.com. Check it out. We need it. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you for having me. All the best. And everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be talking with Dr. Doug Graham of 801010. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan program. For those of you who are new, well, thank you. Thank you for finding us. 
We have six years of amazing archives at uh, Unity Online Radio and on iTunes and wherever you find podcasts. So I invite you to check those out. If you're not familiar with Main Street Vegan as a whole, please have a visit over at MainStreetVegan.net and you'll find out all about what we do there. I've written a whole lot of books on this subject, including Main Street Vegan, and I'm co-author of the new Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook. You can also read on the website about the Academy, a magical six days in New York City that trains vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And uh, you can sign up for our blog and our newsletters and stay in touch. So uh, do take your fingers over to MainStreetVegan.net. I think you'll be glad you did. And I'll tell you what I'm glad about. I am glad about being able to introduce to you someone who probably does not need an introduction, certainly not if you've been moving in health circles any time in the last 30 years, and that is Dr. Douglas N. Graham. He has invested a lifetime in health and fitness, helping thousands to recover their health and coaching world-class athletes to peak performance. His book, The 80-10-10 Diet, created an industry. His other book, Nutrition and Athletic Performance, is used by athletes in almost every sport to guarantee that their nutrition supports their training goals. Having given more than 10,000 stage appearances, Dr. Graham is as enthusiastic as ever to share his education, experience, and inspiration with you. And I hear a rumor that there just might be a new book in the works. Welcome, Dr. Doug Graham. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much, Victoria. What a treat to spend time with you. It really, really is. Are we talking? Are you in England right now? I am in England right now. It's just getting dark. And it was a beautiful spring day. Ah, well, I always think of you as being a sun guy, because when we met, you were living in the Florida Keys. Absolutely. And you, you turned your home there into literally a, an edible jungle. You had a, a regular, just suburban type home with a backyard that wasn't all that huge and a front cul-de-sac little circle thing. And you grew bananas and papayas and mangoes and fruit that I have never seen or heard from since. So tell <laughs> yes, us how all that started. In, we're doing the same thing here in England, although not so much with tropical fruits, but we've got about 20 different kinds of fruit trees growing in our yard here. And and most of the summer, there's there's something. It's either berries or cherries or, you know, the the grapes come on at the end of the summer and the kiwi comes on last and but we got everything that'll grow here growing and and just loving the apples and pears as well Aww. yeah it's just it you know i'm happy wherever i am and and this is where i am at the moment um although i'm i'm now working with a client named michael porter jr who's based in the states so i'm going to be spending more time in the states with him over the next couple of years as he begins his NBA career. Oh, well, we'll be watching that. It, you reminded me talking about your orchard, your backyard orchard, of something that you told me back in 1988. <laughs> I had moved from Kansas City to a little rental house in the central Missouri Ozarks. I was fairly recently widowed. I thought I should move to the country. And you said, plant fruit trees. And I said, why should I plant fruit trees? It's a rental. I'm just here for a year or two. I wouldn't even be around when it bears fruit. And you said, somebody would be around. Sure. So you somebody have some did. legacy going on. <laughs> somebody definitely planted so that we could eat fruit. So, yes. So let's talk about fruit. Let's just jump right in because... I always thought you ate way more fruit than most people could eat. And then 15 months ago, my husband started eating just like you do. And about well, three or four months into it, I thought he's doing 80-10-10 and he doesn't even know we own the book. And he's lost a great deal of weight. He's very healthy. He's very fit. 
he's really, really made a difference. So I feel like I am living with proof of the 80-10-10 philosophy. So how did you get from regular guy to to the the fruit doctor? How long do we have? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I started making, my mom and my sister were both struggling with their weight. And when I was in high school as an athlete, I just ate all I possibly could, although I, I knew being five pounds lighter would probably help my gymnastics, but, you know, five pounds just wasn't a big deal. And um, So I started making diet changes back then because my family was, and then realized while I was in college that making diet change was a smart thing because I could actually help my athletic performance. That was the goal. Uh, eventually, eventually vegetarianism just made sense it was a financial move partly as a college student um, the the animal issues and the environmental issues I became aware of a bit later mostly it was about me you know would I feel better could I get by on less sleep could I maintain my health and my athletic performance and my weight and and those were the big things and when I went vegetarian I thought I'd arrived but every Every time I got gathered with other people, I just kept hearing vegan, vegan, vegan. So although I thought they were nuts, eventually it made more sense. And I said, OK, I'll try the vegan experiment. And I only did a vegan experiment for a few months before I just had to find out about raw veganism. It, it just seemed like the obvious, logical next step. I mean, all the other animals eat raw food and all the animals built like us eat raw vegan. And I just couldn't argue with the science. Fruits and vegetables are good for us. If they're better for us than everything else, why would I want to eat anything else? So I just took it on as an experiment. The experiment results were so profound. It was going to be a one month experiment. But after two weeks, I already knew there was no going back. I mean, my eyes just opened up and my clarity of mind, my memory became so sharp. I've always suffered with knowing words that were on the tip of my tongue, but I just couldn't quite remember what they were. I knew I knew it, but I didn't, I needed help to get it out. And, or when having conversations with people, we would, we would divert and sidetrack and the next thing, neither of us knew what we were talking about. And and that stopped happening. I could I could sidetrack and sidetrack and sidetrack and fragment off of there as far as I wanted, as many times as I wanted, and still come right back to what we were talking about. In fact, usually the other people didn't remember. And my vocabulary opened up and my ability to learn improved dramatically. My memory, my need for sleep went down by about 25%, about two hours a night. And, and it just, my physical energy just went nuts and I go well there's no going back this is obviously working far too well so even then as easy as I thought it was it still took some years before I figured out not only what I was trying to do but the science behind what I was trying to do so that I could explain it to others and that would be the 80-10-10 diet that would be the 80-10-10 diet <laughs> It just works so like a charm. I mean, the book's been out now for over a decade. Nobody has pointed out a chink in the armor or a flaw in the logic. It makes sense. Its it, science is, is inarguable. And the results are profound, as you say. You, you see it happen even in your own family. So for people who don't know what it is, what do those numbers mean? You know, book titles, well, you, you know more about successful book titles probably than anybody, but book titles are supposed to convey a message. They're supposed to create a picture in your mind. Uh, you know, the Hollywood diet, and it conveys a picture in your mind right away. And and, and 801010 doesn't at all, uh, because the only other option with a, with a title is to generate a mystery. So 801010 is basically a mystery. Um, and the idea behind it is, to get more than 80% of your calories from carbohydrates each day. The rest, the fats and the proteins just fall right into line. Uh, basically, the, the World Health Organization and most of the other scientific organizations that make statements about such things say if we eat between 3 and 10% of our calories from protein, 
three to ten percent of our calories from fat we're going to hit absolutely the ideal recommendations in terms of ratio to each other the types of fats the specific amino acids everything will be exactly right if we can stay in that three to ten range so the ten and the ten are fat and protein and basically what that means is that as human beings most of our calories need to come as carbohydrates because if they don't we lose energy as we convert our food into carbohydrates because it's carbohydrates that fuel every cell of the body. Well, so far, I think everybody is with you who is familiar with the whole food plant-based approach, except that you're raw. So the beans and the grains and the baked potatoes and all that are not part of how you eat and how you live. So is that part of 80-10-10, or are we talking fruits, vegetables, and a few nuts and seeds? It's a great question. Uh, I would say that anybody could eat whatever they want and still be on the ratio of 80-10-10. You could include anything and still be on that ratio. But if you do it as a vegan, you're going to get better results and if you do it as a raw vegan, you're going to get even better results. Uh, so in the ideal format, it would be as a raw vegan 80-10-10 where you use fruit as your source of carbohydrates rather than using complex carbohydrates and having con to con then convert them into simple carbohydrates, which is, again, just a, a needless effort on the part of the body. So you know that a lot of people are afraid of fruit. And sure. the idea of getting, let's say, 65% of the calories from fruit in a day would just send them into apoplexy. So sure. um, pick us up off the floor and tell us why we're going to be okay. Well, we have to look at several things using because because this is an imaginary game, right? I mean, we're just we're just saying, well, uh, gee, I wonder what would happen if and. And we're only talking hypothetically here, but I mean, when we were kids, the nurse had a sign on the door. It said an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And everybody told us, eat fruit. Fruit's good for you. Eat your fruits, eat your vegetables. And then we go to the zoo and we see that the, the zookeeper feeds all the animals according to their anatomy and their physiology. And all the animals that are built like us, the anthropoid primates, the monkeys that don't have tails, basically, they all get fed fruits and vegetables. And we go, hmm, well, in, in, in the world of anatomy, every animal that's built like every other animal eats pretty similarly. So all those grazing animals eat similarly. They all graze. You know, and all the, all the animals that chase after other animals and catch them, all those predatory animals eat prey. Uh, but we're not built to graze and we're not built to chase prey. Uh, I can sneak up on a cherry just like nobody's business so <laughs> why are we afraid of fruit we're afraid of fruit because it, mostly it's been a marketing game people point their finger at this or that uh, there was a study about high fructose corn syrup that said fructose is really bad for us but in the article itself if you actually read the article they go oh, we're talking high fructose corn syrup this is a refined product in fact, fruit is exempt from our recommendations. We recommend that you have all the fruit you want. It's not part of – fructose is not the same as high-fructose corn syrup. And then, I mean, in 1959, the Journal of American Medical Association pointed out that if you eat too much dietary fat, you'll end up with diabetes, that it, it creates what's called insulin resistance. And, and they also said – Fruits not included. If you look at the the Diabetes Association and, and what their recommendations, they say eat all the fruit you want. And somehow that gets converted over into scared of fruit. And partly we understand why. If you have a big heavy dinner, whatever it was, and it takes 18 hours to digest, but 9, 10 hours later you eat your fruit for breakfast, it's not going to sit well on top of that dinner. It's fruits, fruits, very biologically active stuff, and it's just not going to sit well. Or, or if you only eat a half a grapefruit for breakfast, well, I'm not surprised that you're hungry half an hour later 
I mean, you know, it's 50 calories and it's it's just nowhere near what a normal breakfast needs to be in order to keep you satiated. So fruit kind of took a bum rap and and very often it wasn't the fruit that was the problem at all. In fact, if we look back in our history, if you actually, again, and I read, um, so I read what the anthropologists say and the anthropologists say that the way we got to be who we are is for several million years, our ancestors and then our earliest Homo sapiens ate fruits and vegetables because that's what was easy to grab a hold of. We had fruits and vegetables and, and anything else we might have eaten was out of a lack of sufficient fruits and vegetables. We haven't evolved since then. I mean, we became Homo sapiens and uh, just read a book recently where the, where the author said, you know, if you took a man from two million years ago, took a baby that was two months old and raised him in today's modern environment, he'd be able to do anything we could do. He'd be the same Homo sapiens that we are. So we haven't changed. The food has changed. Well, I mean, the food of choice has changed and the society the food of choice. normal. You know, we, if you look at a film of New York City streets in, in the year 1900, and it's very, very busy with pedestrians, you could watch thousands of pedestrians go by between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and not one single one of them would be overweight, not at all. Mm-hmm. Today, a, a slim person is told they're too thin. So what, our perception of what's normal has, has shifted so much that we now... Well, as Roger Waters said it, we've amused ourselves to death. And, <laughs> and, and we've done that with our food just as much as with everything else. We, we've numbed ourselves. We've amused ourselves. You know, the, the, I don't even know whose onion it is that's all sliced up and breaded and fried. But whoever it is, I mean, they're selling the sizzle. They're selling the excitement. They're, they're, dog food gets sold for its nutritional qualities, but people food gets sold because it's exciting. <laughs> That's true. But but this is exciting. There's something exciting about feeling amazing. So I, I do want to get into some of your newer projects, but just really quickly before we move on, just so that everybody understands, can you translate 801010 into food and tell us what we're going to be eating in a day? Well, if somebody wanted to actually try 801010 the way I do it, I mean, I eat all the fruit I want for breakfast and all the fruit I want for lunch. And then before dinner, I have all the fruit I want. And then I have the biggest <laughs> salad in the world. Uh, and and just in terms of volume, probably half my food is vegetables and half of it's fruit. But in terms of calories, 85, 90% of my calories every day are coming from fruit. Uh, how much fruit? Well, it's enough to meet my caloric needs. I'm an active guy still. You've always known me to be an active guy. I'm still active. I'm still weightlifting uh, in a sport called powerlifting that I'm enjoying no end. Uh, I stay active around the house. I do our own gardening, and every, you know I walk the dog every day a couple of times, so it covers some miles. And and um, my calorie intake each day runs uh, roughly thirty five hundred or so per day. So I'll eat a thousand calories worth of breakfast and fifteen hundred worth of lunch. And I mean, breakfast is my big watery rich fruit meal and lunch is my big calorie rich meal and dinner is my big volume meal because it's got all those vegetables. I think it's more interesting to talk about what's happened in the world today that that there are some firsts going on right now that we've never ever seen before. Although it was predicted by Dr. Pottinger almost 90 years ago, we're seeing first, we're seeing the first generation ever born that isn't healthier than its parents. That's already happened, and the, and the generation being born today is the first generation in history that's not expected to outlive their parents. We're seeing a gen, the first generation ever where more people are obese than people are trim. We're seeing a lot of firsts going on, and, and it's a fascinating thing. So it's time to make some change, I think. It is indeed. So you've given me some strange initials here. And I don't know what they are. UTD. Oh, yeah, UTD. It's not what you think. Okay, what is it? UTD has to do with, with three things that happen to everything that gets into our body somehow. 
because it has to get from the outside world, it has to get to ourselves in order for us to use it. And the, the U is for uptake. We have to be able to uptake. So for, so for instance, people who can't uptake oxygen because they have lung damage, well, they, they end up with problems pretty quickly. You know, a person with emphysema is in serious trouble. Uh, if their uptake of oxygen is impaired, they have a problem. Uh, the T is for transport, and transport simply means getting through your bloodstream. Although some people might think of it as also getting through your lymphatic system, transport primarily refers to getting through your bloodstream from wherever the entry point is until there's supposed to be an exit at some point so those nutrients can be delivered, which is the D, delivery, getting out of the bloodstream and getting onto the cells. Those three processes have to happen, and, and what's been shown in science is that the uptake, transport, and delivery of both carbohydrates or sugars, whatever you want to call it, glucose if you want to be specific, the uptake, transport, and delivery of glucose, and the uptake, transport, and delivery of oxygen, I mean, these are two really critical factors, are reliably impaired objectively repaired, I'm sorry, impaired, based on the amount of fat in your diet every day, the percentage of fat in your diet. So as the percentage of fat goes up, so does the impairment. And it's not a straight line thing exactly, but predictable health decline is the outcome every single time. We lower the fat in our, I'm not against fat, we have to have fat. But as we lower the fat in our diet, we improve Uptake, transport, and delivery of oxygen and glucose. I mean, these two are critical factors. So to an athlete, that's huge. To a sick person, this is huge. To the regular person on the street, they notice profound changes. Clarity of mind, sense of energy, availability of fuel to the muscles, the amount of sleep needed. Over and over and over, we just see profound changes as we improve uptake, transport, and delivery. And this happens simply by reducing fat. Oddly enough, we eat so much fat in the standard American diet, about 45% of our calories coming from fat, that what's considered a low-fat diet in the medical world is between 30 to 35% of calories. When I'm talking low-fat, I don't mean lower than we need, but within the dietary recommendations that you'll see throughout nutrition books. It almost doesn't matter the nutrition book you open up. They're always going to come up with the actual facts that say 3 to three to 10% is the recommended range. So, Dr. Graham, what would you say to these keto people? There are, there are people who believe that it's very healthy to eat an extremely high fat diet. I know that's mostly in the paleo meat eating world, but I've run into some keto vegans. Uh, what, what's the rationale there? It's a fascinating world. Before it, it's a fascinating <laughs> world. I respect the people who are out there trying things. It's not a disrespect. Keto will be bring some profound short-term results, but not health. Health can't possibly be the outcome of keto. First of all, in order to be in keto, you actually have to be in a carbohydrate deficit and theoretically have to also be in a calorie deficit. So this is not a long-term approach to life. You can't live in a calorie deficit. But on top of that, the body's preferred fuel is glucose. Your body will manufacture its own glucose if you don't provide glucose. Whereas there's a few things that we call essential amino acids and essential fatty acids. Glucose is so important that if you don't eat it, your body will make it. This is a profound insight, I think, when we look at the way our bodies are designed. Because in order to make mother's milk appealing, it's a very sweet product. We sense sweet on the tip of our tongue. We replace our milk teeth 
as children with what we call sweet teeth. People say, I've got a sweet tooth that just won't quit. Okay, so our, our sweet tooth drives us and tells us what is food. If it tastes sweet, it's probably food. Granted, we can fool it with refined sugars, but what we're really, if you have a message and I have a message and we have sweet teeth, that makes us sweet-seeking missives. And, and this is what we're driven to, is to look for sweet. Now, can we live for short periods of time on other things? Sure, you can live on next to nothing for a period of time. You can live on just animals if you want, but beyond the ethics of it, there's no health in it. I mean, you're, you're giving yourself heart disease. You're giving yourself liver disease. You're stressing your kidneys to their absolute maximum limit of performance. They will fail on a keto approach. And so it's in a, in a short period of time, will you notice some improvement? Well, yeah. Most of the time people notice improvement because they got off all the junk they were eating when they go on keto. And so by the time they eliminate all the complex carbs and they – and all the junk food that came with it, they're going to feel quite a bit better. But if you read the keto literature, and I've read a fair amount about it, and they're saying, well, wow, look at this keto athlete guy. He went out and ran a marathon. Let's see, what did he eat for the five days before the marathon? Well, for those five days, he went 80-10-10 and carved the heck up so that he ate tons of carbs, could go out, run his marathon, because nobody's notoriously rich on energy when they're on keto. Mm, amazing. I could talk to you all day, two days. We'll have to do this once a year. I had a birthday last week, so I'll just make a note. Have a birthday. Invite Dr. Graham uh, back on the show. You did mention Michael Porter Jr., so just give us a minute on this incredible young University of Missouri basketball player. He's, a, he's an ex-University of Missouri basketball player uh, at this point, but Michael, Michael's a 19-year-old who was raised as a vegetarian. His, actually, in his younger days, he was raised as a vegan, but he ended up with a bunch of brothers and sisters, and the, and the whole system kind of fell through a little bit. And, and at some point, they became a vegetarian family. But, but Michael's father and mother uh, knew about me from lectures that I did back in the 1980s, late 80s, about the time you and I met. And... And they've stayed in touch over the years. And, and when Michael got to be 18, they started asking questions. Would I be willing to coach him some? Could I offer him some advice? He and I started talking. And I said, Michael, here's what I can do for you. I can show you how to extend your career. I'll show you how to have more energy. I'll show you how to increase your vertical jump. Things that mattered to him. And we talked. We talked. We ended up on the phone for quite a while and he said I want this I want to spend time with him so I went out and spent 10 days at his house and they we talked and and he liked what was happening so for the last year I've been coaching Michael with a lesson every single day for the last year uh, I haven't missed a day in in 10 months and send him a lesson on how he can be better at recovering than the average guy then his teammates, then his competition. Here's what you do in order to recover better. And we've made that the sole mission for the first year is let's become better at recovering. So he became a raw vegan and, and he's, he's currently doing the vegan program and noticed four inch improvement in his vertical jump when he got off dairy and some of the other things that eggs and um, just went vegan. He goes, wow, it's just profound. And then he started noticing clarity of mind when he ate more fruit. And then he says, you know what? In the morning when I wake up, I'm so much more awake if I'm just eating fruit and vegetables. So he's very motivated, asked me a couple of days ago if I would go out and spend some time with him. And he's getting ready for the NBA draft. It'll come in June. Uh, he's going to be the number two or three pick. Wow. <laughs> and and he's six foot ten. You know, so many people say, well, I don't know, I'm kind of a big guy. So yeah. He's kind um, of a big guy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Perpetual We're taking about 6,000 calories a day and competing with the best of the best. All he says is, look, I just want to be the best athlete I can possibly be. I do not want to leave any stone unturned. 
I want to be the best I can possibly be. Wow. Dr. Graham, you're the man to make that happen. So I'm excited for him and excited to help him with that because uh, it's just something that's always been a passion for me working with athletes. Of course, and I know you've worked with, with a lot of, of very famous athletes. You've brought some back. You've created uh, champions and helped champions go on to be champions longer. So you're... Uh, your reputation precedes you there. So uh, Perpetual Health 365, that's a beautiful document. You want to tell us about that? Well, Perpetual Health 365, yes, it, uh, this is also something that I started in the 1980s and never just got around to and and then eventually turned it into what I called the Perpetual Health Calendar, which just had a one sentence for each day of the year that was supposed to be inspirational or motivational or educational, a little bit of entertainment here and there. And, and the most common comment I got was, wow, this is your best piece of work ever. But the second most common content comment was, what does this mean? People would read stuff and just not know what it meant. And so I said, you know, what I'm going to have to do here is I'm going to have to expand on each and every one of these 388 individual health messages and write a little just a page or two on each one so i started and got distracted and started and got distracted and said all i have to do is one a day for a year well i I started on five separate occasions and got distracted over seven years period and finally i just i've got to get this done so 21 hours a couple of aprils ago i just said Every day, I've got to write on this thing. Every day, I'm going to finish by Christmas. I did. I finished on Christmas Eve. (laughs) My present to myself was to finish. Uh, Of course, at that point, I realized I wasn't done because as I wrote each piece, I had more I wanted to say. And so I hired a videographer, and we went through the entire book again where I gave a, a video commentary on each day. That was different than the audio commentary, so it's it's been a it's been a fun conglomeration of insight, and I'm very excited about it. I think it's the most health focused piece of work I've ever come out with. Uh, doesn't matter what diet you're on; it's it's a message of health that's uncompromising from January 1st till December 31st. And oh, that's beautiful. That is available now. That is available now on my website. Yes, uh, we have it available as an ebook as we're trying to uh, come into the 21st century, a little book. Yeah. Little bit, you know, and we're seeing more and more people want the ebook, uh, but we're going to bring it out in print as well. Okay, and that website is Food and Sport, which is foodandsport.com. Now, something else is going on, and that is Health and Fitness Week. What's that one? Uh, Health and Fitness Week's been going on every year since 1996, and it's my favorite week out of the whole year. We bring people in from from every walk of life, world-class athletes down to people who can't even make it up a flight of stairs, and take them through a custom program showing them what life would be like if they want to learn how to become a more active, a healthier, a fitter person. Uh, for the least, least fit of all, we show them how to get fit, and for the most fit, we... We take those fit people and turn them into athletes. Uh, we're eating three or 100% organic food, three meals a day, an educational presentation after each meal so that people can learn about the mechanics of fitness and um, the nutrition that goes behind the concepts and, and ask any questions they want to ask. It's, it's an exciting time. I, I like my retreats best because we keep them so small. So we normally have about 15 or 16 guests and as many staff and and just have a blast. We really get to know people, get into their lives, help them reach their health and fitness goals. And I'm sure that information is also at foodandsport.com. Where do you do those and when? We do those in during the month of September. Uh-huh. And they're in Cedra Woolley, Washington, just north of Seattle. It's the height of their dry season, so it's beautiful end of summer weather. And we're in 50 acres of lush Skagit Valley. It's beautiful. The eagles are flying overhead and the coyotes howl at night. It's it's really just a wonderful world. Oh, boy. That, it sounds idyllic. And I know that you, you are a masterful presenter. So everybody go to foodandsport.com. 
check out the 80-10 diet, Perpetual Health 365, and we didn't get uh, around to nutrition and athletic performance, but if you are an athlete or if you want to be, that one is for you as well. Douglas Graham, thank you for all you have done to enrich the lives and the health of so many people, myself included. You are so very, very welcome. It's been a treat. I'm I'm more excited today than I've ever been before. <laughs> Things are going well. We every just, day. just came out with our new Simply Delicious book. Uh, I've, I've started <coughs> Simply Delicious series that's now just growing in leaps and bounds. We're getting guests guest chefs coming in and, and Simply Delicious recipe guides uh, focused on various themes. So one just came out this morning, which is kind of exciting. And, and I'm working on my next book, which I'm, I'm really excited. So what can I say? I'm just trying to contain myself, Victoria. I, I, think, I think fruit causes excitement. <laughs> Doug, bless your heart. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Thanks to Jeff Comfort at Unity Online Radio for doing this show today. They're in the midst of a massive revamp out there. And the studio is officially closed, but uh, Jeff came through for us because Jeff is a prince. Thank you so much to God, everyone listening. God and you know what? I have to say, for all these all these plaudits that you say, um, really, Victoria, the thanks goes to you for creating this vision and withstanding all the challenges that you've had over the years to keep this radio station going and keep your programs growing. Uh, we can't overlook the force for good that you've been in the world. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, God bless you. Eat your veggies and fruit. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Life is a balancing act with hectic schedules and ceaseless demands on our time and attention. We've learned to prioritize. So often, though, I neglect to make time for what is most important. In our drive to get things done, there is an underlying desire, a need we all share, the need for peace. It is a gift that waits within me, ready to be enjoyed if I will simply allow myself the opportunity to connect. Inner peace lessens the everyday stresses of life and reminds me that how I am, the mental and spiritual point from which I view myself, is as important as what I do. I can make peace a priority. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, 
Looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose? Join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.